Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1,326. Polite persistence pays off. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I'm revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest calling in from across the pond in Dorset, which is on the south coast of England, Matthew Field. Hey, Matthew, cheers to you, bud. Are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am indeed. I'm ready to go. All right. We're going to have some fun. Matthew Field is the world's leading authority on The Italian Job. That's right, the movie. In 2009, he co-produced and directed a feature-length documentary about the film for Paramount Pictures. He has written numerous books on cinema, including the best-selling Some Kind of Hero, the remarkable story of the James Bond films. (laughs) He drives some cool cars. Matthew has worked on featured films around the world, producing behind-the-scenes marketing materials, and most recently, completed work on Mamma Mia! Here We Go Again. That was another great movie for Universal Pictures. Matthew has directed a number of documentaries, including a one-hour retrospective to accompany the 3D re-release of James Cameron Terminator 2 in 2018. He was the editorial consultant on the official MGM film Everything or Nothing, which marked the 50th anniversary of the James Bond film series. He currently serves on the board of the Ian Fleming Foundation that owns over 20 vehicles used in the popular series. Matthew, you're going to be a very unique and different guest. I'm very excited to bring you to the show. I've told my listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a brief moment before I jump into the questions and uh, share a little bit more about this interesting career you have and, of course, a passion you have for automobiles? Absolutely. Well, first of all, Mark, thanks for having me on the show. You're welcome. Um, It's so exciting, the stuff that you've been doing. So um, I started my writing career when I was 18 um, with my first book, which was The Making of the Italian Job. Um, which went on to great success and launched me kind of in publishing as a writer, but also eventually launched me into the movie business. Um, And just to bring up to speed on what I'm doing now, I've just recently done this second book on the Italian job, The Self-Preservation Society, 50 Years of the Italian Job, which I'm sure we'll talk about later on, um, which has kind of like brought my adventure with the Italian job full circle because it's kind of like been 20 years in the making, 20 years in the research. Yeah, absolutely. You know, what's really cool about this is um, you think about a movie and then you think, okay, it's a movie. I go and watch it. And that's kind of the end of it. But you created a career around some very unique movies. And I think I find that really, really fascinating. I've had lots of journalists and writers on the show. So I'm very excited to present what you do to my listeners. And as we continue on your journey, as my listeners know, I always like to start with a success quote or a mantra. This is some kind of saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success, and it's a really nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars. Yeah, in this case, a bunch of mini tires, since we're talking about the Italian jobs. So, Matthew, take the wheel. Okay, so this was a quote or a piece of advice given to me by my A-level sociology teacher when I was about 17. It was polite persistence pays off. Okay. Now, I've um, a bit like you, I interview people all of the time. And sometimes um, when you're researching a project, people don't necessarily want to be interviewed. They're hard to track down. Yep. And sometimes you, you do find them. And there's the disappointment when they say they don't want to be interviewed or they don't want to contribute to your project. Yeah. And I have found that if you go back politely and you keep persisting someone, in the end, 
the good charm will shine through. So polite persistence pays off has always been my motto on every project that I've researched and written. Matthew, I've got a huge smile on my face right now, and I'll tell you why. Because I, like you, I've interviewed a few people. You're my 1,326th guest. And actually, there's been more because some of my shows I have multiple people on. But I'm always trying to find interesting people for this show. And one of my guests, we've lost her about three years ago, the great Denise McCluggage. She was a racer, a journalist, a really wonderful woman. I had the chance to meet her at the Pebble Beach Concours. And I chased her for about a year. And I got her on the phone once, and she finally agreed to be on my show. And she said to me, and she's a very direct woman, she said, Mark, you're the most persistent and polite person I've ever interacted with. There you go. And, there you go. <laughs> and so that's why I'm smiling because you know what? You're right, Matthew. You just have to be very polite, but persistent, tenacity. That really pays off for me. Has that worked for you really well? Yeah, absolutely. You have to be. And um, when I did the James Bond project um, a couple of years ago with my co-author, AJ Chowdhury, we broke down some amazing barriers and got some incredible people to come and talk about the Bond films who had never spoken about them since they'd worked on their individual picture. I mean, I'm talking the actors like Christopher Walken and Grace Jones, people that, you know, I was getting nine or 10 people um, who were gatekeeping. These people were saying no. And finally, you'd get through to somebody and the barrier will be broken down. And you have to say it's that tenacity. And if you're charming and if you're honest and, you know, if if you are a, a serious journalist and wanting to tell a serious story, I think you can quite often break those barriers down. And I have to say, and I'm touching wood right now as I'm talking to you, Mark, <laughs> I've never actually had a no. Wow. Well, congratulations. I have had a few, and I think where those mostly I've found out later they came from are, are people are nervous when they hear the word interview. And that's why I've changed my whole, well, you got it. I send what's called a conversation flow. It used to be an interview flow. The word interview scares people, but if you can translate it into or twist it into, hey, we're just having a conversation, that usually puts people at ease. What are some of the tricks you've used? I will say tricks because you don't want to trick people, but you know what I mean, that you finally kind of broken that barrier. How have you gotten through some of those? You might, I think you're going to teach me a few lessons here today. That's my own. I don't, know. I don't, think, I, I don't think I can, not when someone's done over a, a thousand interviews. I'll tell you one, um, I think it's finding a personal hook into that individual. Mm. And I'll give you an example. When I interviewed Pierce Brosnan um, about his four James Bond pictures, how do you get through to a superstar to talk about a franchise where he didn't necessarily leave it in a positive light in terms of, you know, there was, there was you know, an argument, there was a falling out. Right. He'd moved on to bigger and better things. How are you going to get a superstar to talk about a movie they did a little while ago? Yeah. And the very first interview I ever did, and I don't know how familiar you are, Mark, um, with the James Bond films, I'm oh, sure I've seen know. them all many, many times. Uh, yeah. Do you remember? Do you remember um, an actor called Desmond Llewellyn who played Q, the old Q yes. before Ben? Or in the old films with Sean Connery and Roger Moore. Oh yeah. Well, he was in the first two, the first three Pierce Brosnan movies with Pierce, and Desmond was the first person I ever interviewed for my school magazine. In fact, I interviewed him literally six months before he was killed in a car accident mm-hmm. um, at the age of about 80, 85. And I wrote to Pierce and mentioned that Desmond Llewellyn was the first person I'd interviewed as a kid. And Desmond had told me how fond he was of Pierce Brosnan. And I mentioned this in my note. Mm-hmm. And I sent him this note. And literally overnight, I had this email that just says, hey, Matthew, you got me with Desmond. Call me a Malibu. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, well, it's making a personal connection. And that's what I've tried to do as well if I'm having difficulties. And and you're right. I mean, when you're interviewing famous people, it's even harder. They have a lot of gatekeepers. 
And some of those gatekeepers can be just vicious. I mean, they, you know, they tell you that, oh, yeah, I'm asking for you, but you kind of sense, no, they've never said a word to this person. They have no idea. So, yeah. And, and nowadays, have you found that from when you were younger, you're not an old, real old guy like me now, but uh, there's so many different ways to connect with people now if they were active out there, say, on social media or some different sure, avenues. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really interesting point you make there, Mark. And this second Italian job book for me, um, allowed me to to find an awful lot more people. Because when I did the first book, I was researching it in the year 2000. And, you know, the internet was in, in its infancy back then. I mean, it wasn't as developed as it was now. Mm-hmm. Now you can pretty much find anybody. If you if you do what you and I do, if you research people, we're almost like private detectives yes. trying to track people. <laughs> yeah. And um, and you can you can pretty much find anybody through sophisticated search methods, as you said, through social media. And I didn't have that before. So 20 years later, the whole way of researching has completely changed. The world has become a much smaller place. Yes. Yeah. I feel sometimes like Sherlock Holmes, to quote somebody that comes from from your continent, that you're just, you're picking apart these little things and you find these little avenues. Just this morning, my wife helped me find a racer that I was trying to find. I couldn't find her website. And she said, well, just go, are you Facebook friend? Yeah, just go click. Oh, okay. There it is. You know, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> right there in front um, of me. It's fascinating and it's a lot of fun for sure. Well, I want to go back in time a little bit and have you share a story that instigated a personal passion you have with cars. I know that you work in the movie industry and you're a journalist, but I know you like cars a little bit too. So I would love to learn about a pivotal moment in your life when you knew that you were got kind of a touch of a car guy. Well, I'm going to go right back to 1985 when I first saw The Italian Job. Um, and just to quickly remind the, the listeners, the original movie is full of classic cars. Not, it's not just the Mini Coopers. It's, it opens on a Lamborghini Miura going around the Italian Alps. We've got Aston Martin DB4s in there, Jaguar E-types. So it's full of, you know, it's a car junkie's dream. So there I was in 1985 at the age of four. And my dad showed me finale of The Italian Job. And it was the first proper movie that I think I ever saw, ever, you know, beyond kids' cartoons. It was the first proper film I'd seen. And it stayed with me. It always stayed with me. And I watched that film over and over and over. And I just love cars. In fact, my favorite toys were my cars when I was a kid. And in fact, by the age of five, I could pretty much name every single car that was on the roads here in England. I was more of an expert on uh, contemporary cars in the mid-80s than I am now at the age of 38. So I, you know, I love cars right from day one. I, I had about three, 400 toy cars and they were my, and I play with them day in, day out. They're my favorite things. And I love the Bond films as well, as you said in my intro. And they're full of all sorts of different cars over 50 years from Aston Martins to Lotus to Sprees to, you know, to BMWs and the Pierce films. So I've, I've just loved and been fascinated cars from day one and, and especially with the Italian job. I mean, we were, you know, a mini family. Both my grandmothers drove minis and I used to love going out and sitting on the driveway and actually, you know, reenacting the Italian job at the age of five, just sitting there, you know, behind <laughs> the wheel, this chocolate brown mini, you know? So no, ever since I can remember, cars have always been around me. I mean, I've loved them, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I remember in the first movie too, another car that you didn't mention there, the Fiat Dino. Uh, of course, yeah. yeah. Which the Mafia drive, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, they were they were actually gifted to the production by Gianni Agnelli, who was the the head of Fiat. Um, who, when he welcomed them to the filmmakers to the city of Turin, 
he gave the producers at his disposal disposal three dinos wow. which are absolutely fantastic cars i love them in fact they don't get celebrated that that, that much no. in the movie because so many other cars overshadowed them but uh, it's really interesting mark that you pointed out the dinos well i love the dinos and what's interesting to me about the fiat dino Number one, I believe it has the same motor that they put in the Dino, the Ferrari Dino, uh, which is the same. And also those cars, if you look at the coupe version of those cars compared to the Cabriolet version, they almost don't even look like the same car. The coupe is kind of rather plain Jane and not so sexy, but the Fiat Dino has some really beautiful lines. Oh, it's fantastic. Um, And yes, there's three of them in the Italian job. In fact, just earlier on this afternoon, friend of mine who just read my recent book that's just come out he said to, he said to me i just had a lead that one of the dinos might still be on the road here in england so that's something that i'm about to investigate oh so wow interesting you bring that that car up because so far I've, I've been doing several weeks of publicity and nobody yet has mentioned the dino oh yeah well well i think they're really beautiful cars and for a long time they were kind of left the wayside. You could pick them up for rather cheap, and uh, many had not been restored because they weren't worth a whole lot. But they've kind of crept back up as the rising tide of collector cars has raised. I've had the luxury of driving a Dino, and they're just a wonderful, splendid little car to drive. Not terribly fast, of course, but neither is the Ferrari Dino, but just a joy to drive. Yeah, I'm afraid I've never driven one, but uh, no, I'd love to. Well, we've got to get you in one. I'll see what I can do about that. <laughs> Maybe that'll come up in a question a little later during our talk. We'll see where we go with that. But right now, I want you to talk about a big challenge or even a big failure that you faced along the way in your career. And the reason I like this question is it helps others who might be facing the same challenges. But the most important part of this, once you kind of go through the painful part, is what did it teach you? Because these tough lessons are very valuable, valuable, I should say, for us going forward. So tell us about an experience that was difficult and tell us how that helped you gain even more momentum as you move forward in your career, in your business, in your life? Well, it's a really interesting question, and, and I loved it when I saw it on the, uh, on the interview prep there. My last book before this new Italian job book was, as you mentioned in the intro, Some Kind of Hero, The Remarkable Story of the James Bond Films. And I co-wrote that um, with a very good friend of mine, AJ Chowdhury. And it was a mammoth job. We didn't, it didn't have a whole lot of time to write it. We, it'd been 20 years in the prep, and then we had not long to put it together. We had to have it ready for when Spectre, the most recent Bond movie, hit cinemas around the world. And we did 150 new interviews for that book. And it was absolutely immense. And I think when you're kind of like steering a project, and the two of us were steering it together very successfully together, was that you have to kind of like, you, you, you try and hold on, and film directors do this. They try and hold on to as much as they possibly can without you know, letting go of any control of anything or, or any responsibility. And we realized very quickly that there was a lot of people that are experts in our field that could help with transcribing and maybe doing a little bit of extra research for us. And feed, You know, all that initial research where you, you do something, you explore four routes and there's three dead ends or there could even be four dead ends. And it's been a waste of time. You spent hours actually researching that route is that we relied on people around us to help us with some of that. And I think that when I went on to the Italian job project, I realized again that it's a good thing to people who are very enthusiastic about the same topics as you, as the same subjects as you, because we're all in, let's face it, we're in a specialist industry here, Mark. I mean, all the research that we do is to, is, is to use the expertise of other people around you, the goodwill of other people, because people want to help and your project will be much better for that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the other thing I've discovered too is the automotive industry, I think is very unique in the sense that Car people love helping other car people. 
it's a kind of a rare thing. I haven't talked to too many people that work in different career industries that see the same thing happening in their careers. I, you can call a car buddy. I mean, I can be in a different city and go online and say, hey, I'm, I'm in Houston today and I've got a car problem. Can anybody help? And all of a sudden, there's a tow truck in front of you going, I'm taking you to Jim's house. He's going to help you fix that starter problem or whatever it is. Have you found that with your writing in the that's relating to automotive? I know you're in film primarily, but have you found that with some car people in your uh, in your your talks? Uh, well, absolutely. In fact, on the Italian job, do you remember at the end of the film mark there? I don't want to spoil the film out there for any of the the listeners who haven't seen it. But do you remember how the film ends in the back of a bus? Yes. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So the finale of the movie. The getaways in three Mini Coopers and three Minis escape across the city and they eventually drive one by one into the back of a moving bus, mm-hmm. okay, with all the seats taken out. And, that's, and then the, the, the bus escapes over into the into the Alps and then something dramatic happens, which I won't say just in case yes. anybody Yeah, happens. don't give it away. <laughs> okay. I just want to talk about that coach. Now, I had rumors that that coach was last seen somewhere in Scotland around about 1990. Now, a very good friend of mine, Brian Smith, and he'd be listening to this this podcast. He, I said to him, look, I'm really running out of time, but there's a really interesting story here. And he said, hey, let me take that element and let me go and do the research for you. And he took that and he went and found all of the different owners that, that this coach went through and eventually discovered its story for me. Oh, my and it allowed, gosh. And allowed me as the writer to find the creative story and all the information that he was finding. Yeah. But he was getting me like copies of the logbook for this coach. And this is probably the most famous bus in in in, in England for us because it, this is this is such an iconic movie here. Yeah. If any everybody would remember that that coach as we call it. There was only ever one of them. So it's not like when you make movies you have multiples of the same vehicle sure. or when the planning job they had one bus. And we were able to tell this incredible story about the bus. And Brian was able to do all of that research for me because he was up there. He went to these very remote parts of Scotland to talk to people who dug through their their attics and found these incredible photographs of it post-Italian job when it went back to being a normal bus, wow. you know, like bussing, bussing, you know, grannies around in bikes. <laughs> and that was me really relying on somebody. He became an expert on the Harrington Legionnaire. That's what the, that's what the coach was, a Harrington Legionnaire. And he became an expert for me on this this one small area of this massive big story. And the book was better for that by having that help and having that expertise. How cool is that? Well, shout out to Brian. Cheers, mate. Uh, I think that's fantastic. Yeah, uh, the car world is just full of spectacular people, and they just continue to amaze me. Let's have a little bit of fun and talk about your first really special vehicle, that first car that had great meaning for you, or maybe it was a bike, maybe it was a motorcycle or truck. I have no idea, but uh, tell us about a memory you have about that ride. Okay, I'm going to go back to my very first car that I had when I learned to drive when I was 17. Cool. And my first car was a Ford Fiesta Mark III. Now, you don't have those in America. I think you had a the, I think you had the Ford Escort, but you didn't have the Ford Fiesta. Is that correct? I believe you are correct, yeah. Okay, so anybody listening, Google it. And you'll see this horrendous looking early <laughs> 90s car come up on your screens, which is a Ford Fiesta Mark III. And I can remember it so well. The registration number was N395SPR. I absolutely loved that car. And it was, it was dark green. Um, and it was, it was, um, it was only two years old when I got it. Mm-hmm. And it was my pride and joy. I, you know, I, my Saturday job, I'd saved up for this car. It came on some incredible adventures as we all go on when we're that age. It can tell it, that car could tell a few stories. <laughs> And it was my pride and joy, you know, washing it all the time. But the first long distance journeys I went on, like driving it through the center of London, you know, driving it to school, 
girlfriends. I don't know that that car to me was. In fact, I, I kept when it eventually went to scrap. Can you believe it? <laughs> and I kept the number plates, and I've still got them yeah. because I'm that attached to that car. So. Uh, a big shout out there to that Ford Fiesta Mark III that uh, sadly no longer with us. What what year was that Ford? 1996. 96, yeah. You know, it's funny you said you kept a piece. I always keep a part or a piece off of every car I've ever owned. And so I have this... What does your garage look like? Well, I haven't owned a whole lot of cars, but I have had a few. But there's always something that I keep off the car. And uh, it's just kind of a little memory. And... uh you know, usually it's not something. I mean, one was a glove box cover. I had a '66 Mustang Fastback that was a a clone oh of the GT350, the Shelby, and I had Carol Shelby sign the glove box. So, you know, I had to keep that. I mean, that was like cool. mandatory. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and some cars I've swapped out steering wheels, so I kept the original steering wheel, older cars. But uh, yeah, I always kind of a little memory, you know, of that vehicle. And speaking of memories, we all have seller's remorse. Is there a seller's yeah. remorse story in your your life? Well, there is, and it's actually not, it wasn't my car, it was my mum's car that I wish we'd kept. Yeah. When my brother and I were kids, my mum had, everyone get ready to Google this, a Citroen Diane, that's D-Y-A-N-E. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you're not, you're, 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 you'll be, you'll be familiar with the, the Citroen Der Chevaux, the 2CV. Oh, yeah. So the Diane was a derivative of the 2CV. It was built between 1968 and 1982, okay? We had this, this blue Citroen Diane. And as with the Dershavo, the roof would go, would, would roll all the way back as a canvas roof and you used to just unclip it. I mean, this thing was held together by a bucket of bolts and you'd, you'd, you'd wind this roof back and it was literally just a, a, a tin can. I mean, there was nothing in it. It was, it was a, a 600cc, the Citroen. Uh-huh. And I just have very fond memories of that car. In fact, when it used to be the Christmas fair at school, my, my dad would, would drive Santa Claus to the Christmas fair and he'd, and he'd, and he'd be hanging out the top. The, the canvas roof would be taken off the Diane and he'd be hanging out the top of the car and we'd be ringing the school bell and all the kids would come out and the thing. So I into the playground. So I remember that car very fondly. And, you know, we must have sold it. I must have been about 1993 for like a hundred pounds or something because it was, it was absolutely knackered, this car. But now, the other day, I just kind of just started looking around the internet to see how much a Citroen Diane would go for, and you're now into the into the thousands for a good one. You're talking like four or five thousand pounds yeah. for one of these cans, and I just have very fond memories of it. So yeah, I just wish that you know we'd never sold that car because it just gives me such fond memories of my childhood. Well, you're going to smile at this. I'm very familiar with that car, and the reason being is a good friend of mine who lives in the Northwest, who's been a guest here on the show, Kenji Yoshino owns a company and he sells of all you know, he's Japanese, but he sells Citroen parts. He is in love with Citroen cars, always has been. Uh he's given me many rides in all his different Citroens. And one of the last cars I rode in with him, and he may still have it, is a Diane. And when he to America? In America, yeah. Here in the Northwest. And when he brought it over, I just looked at this thing and yeah, you talk about a tin can. Now I wouldn't say that if you're listening, Kenji my apologies. But yeah, it's kind of just a big tin can. But what I find lovely about that car is you just look at it, and you have to smile. I mean, it's just, it's a personality. I know that it was uh, designed and based on the uh, Citroen, as you said, 2CV, uh, which most people know, but it just has a, I don't know, it's just a little sense. It's like a little toy or something. Exactly. And ours was ours was blue. In fact, my auntie, she had a red one at the same time. So we had two Dianes in the family. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, I believe Kenji's is blue as well. I'm going to 
I'm going to have him send me a picture and I'll send that to you. It'll make you smile. I can't believe that anybody would have gone to the expense of importing a citron in the United States. So that, that, that's, that's made my day that has. Well, Kenji loves citrons. He sells parts all over the world. He's just, he loves citrons. He always has. And he, he kind of, you know, when he first introduced me to the brand, I'm like, so what, citron? I have no interest. But I've learned to love them. I've given, he's given me rides and some that I can only say riding in some old citrons is like riding on a cloud. Uh, it just kind of moves and gyrates, and you just kind of go with the flow. It's like it's sitting. Really interesting suspensions on, on them. Oh, and yeah. another another Daruba tip of the 2CV, which you might be familiar with, is, is, is the Citroen Mahari. You ever heard of the Citroen yes. Mahari? <laughs> yeah, thanks to Kenji. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Jeep version of the 2CV. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, very interesting. Yeah, very interesting yeah. ride. Very cool. Well, Kenji, if you're out there listening, I hope you are. A big smile on your face, buddy. Uh, you can go back and listen to his show. He's one of my very first guests I had here on Cars Yeah, way, way back. I think he's in the top 10. So uh, go back and check it out. Well, I would love to talk to you a little more about what has you excited and fired up now. Will you talk about your book? So this is a chance to kind of share what you're doing with people and what has you excited about your business today. Yep. So I've just finished. It's just been published um, a new book on my favorite film, The Italian Jobs. So it's called The Self-Preservation Society. 50 years of the Italian job. And the title is based on the Quincy Jones song that he wrote for the film, which uses those lyrics, the self-preservation society. I mean, YouTube that song for anybody that hasn't heard it. So it's a, it's a great piece of music that Quincy wrote for the film. It's, it's 50 years. We've had some major celebrations this year for this film. I mean, this, in this country, we love this movie. It's very patriotic. It's a, it's uh, about a gang of British crooks that go over to Italy and steal a gold shipment and they escape in three Mini Coopers across the city of Turin into the Italian Alps. And it stars Michael Caine and Noel Coward. We, we launched it on Wednesday at the Mini plant in Oxford where all of the, every Mini that is exported around the world is made. Uh, we started off with um, all the VIP guests got a tour of the, of the factory production line where they build uh, a thousand cars a day, then had a screening of the Italian job and it was a pop-up screen built inside the factory um, with stadium seating. And we had on one side of the screen, the three Mini Coopers. And on the other side of the screen, we had the all three original cars that survived filming. We had the Lamborghini Miura, the Aston Martin DB4, and the red E-Type Roadster um, on the other side. All six cars in inside the room with the audience, which was which was great fun. So, And Michael Caine sent a, a very lovely message, video message, which was played in, in front of the movie. So this new book, it's based on over 50 new interviews, over 400 photographs from the making of the movie with all of this, all of these car chases behind the scenes in action. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm just so totally pleased with it. It's, it's incredible. 335 pages is a very, very heavy book. I think most people who receive it are uh, quite surprised at how large and how heavy it is. But I'm, you know, and I, I don't want to sound big headed about it, but I think it is the definitive word on this movie. Um, and we've just had great interest in it over here in the last two weeks because of this anniversary. But what's also been equally interesting, and the reason we've had so much press, is not only is it the 50th anniversary of the film, it's also the 60th anniversary of the Mini, which first rolled off the production line in Oxford in 1959. Yeah, it's very cool. And a shout out to Rebecca Leopard who connected us. Uh, she sends me so many great people. And uh, now the book's available today. Is that right? That's correct. It's uh, available from www.porterpress.co.uk. There you go. I'll make sure to put a link to that on Matthew Shono's page. If you love cars and if you're listening to the show, of course you love cars. 
Get your hands on a copy of this book because it's really cool. And if you haven't seen the original movie, go back and watch it. And if you have, go watch it again. It's just wonderful. And now that you know to watch for that uh, Fiat Dino as that extra car, kind of the outlier there, uh, I think you'll have fun spotting all the fun cars. And now you know the inside story on the coach, which is pretty cool as well. But get the book, read it first, and then go back and watch the movie. I think you'll love it. So Matthew, up next is the last lap. Before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors that make this all possible. What's the worst thing for your car's interior? No, it's not that milkshake the kids spilled in the back seat. It's the sun. Harmful UV rays cook your automobile's interior hour after hour when it's parked outside, even on a cloudy day. What's the solution? Covercraft sunscreens. They protect your dash, seats, and interior finishes from those damaging UV rays while keeping the interior temperature tolerable, even on the hottest summer days. No more painfully sizzling seats and steering wheels for you. They unfold quickly and easily install, stay where you put them, and are custom pattern for an exact fit. The foam core acts as a cooling insulator, and you can get yours in different colors and finishes. And they even fold up easily and store under your seat or on the floor. I've used Covercraft sunscreens for years, and they are a fast and easy solution that protect my beloved cars when they're not in the garage. Learn more and order yours at Covercraft.com. Want to protect your entire vehicle? Get a car cover from Covercraft. They have those too. That's Covercraft.com. And tell them Mark sent you. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? I can help. This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah. And I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. Five days a week, thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars Yeah podcast and website. Contact me today and I'll show you how at mark at carsyeah.com or connect with me through the Cars Yeah website at carsyeah.com. Hey, Mark Green here from Cars Yeah. Did you know you can now see me on the Cars Yeah TV show? It's a weekly visit to some of my past Cars Yeah podcast guests, and I take you along for the ride. You go behind the garage door and into their lives, their businesses, and you get to see what makes them successful. With tens of millions of viewers, Cars Yeah TV is making its mark. Cars Yeah TV is available on Mav TV and Lucas Oil Racing TV. You'll find Mav TV on Direct TV. Fubo TV, Fios by Verizon, or you can stream it through Lucas Oil Racing Television online. And they said I only had a face for podcasting. All right, Matthew, we are back, and I have a very introspective question for you, kind of putting you on the analyst couch here today. If Matthew was a car, a vehicle, a coach, whatever you might be, what kind of car would Matthew be in wine? It's not what you want to be, it's how you perceive yourself as a vehicle. Okay, well, I wouldn't say that uh, I stand out from the crowd. I, I like to be in the background a little bit. I don't really like being the, the center. Typical of journalist. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm comparing myself to Bond cars now on that question. So everybody would say, well, which Bond car would you would you like to be? Everybody would love to be the Aston Martin DB5 that was in Goldfinger and, and Thunderbolt with John Connery. But I'm going to stick with Aston Martins. And I'm going to say I would be the Aston Martin Volante. Now, do you know which film the Aston Martin Volante was in? 
Uh, I should know the answer to this, but you're going to have to help me. Okay, it was the one with Timothy Dalton. Yes. Um, the Living Daylight. The, yes, okay. yeah. And that's uh, that's why I was tripped up a little bit here, because, of course, Timothy was kind of the outlier Bond a little bit. He wasn't. He was. Um, but this particular car still had all the gadgets that you had on it. It had the skis that came out the side. It had a rocket booster oh, on the back. Yeah. It had all the Bond gadgets on it. But it's the one Bond car you wouldn't necessarily remember straight away. But it's still a really cool car. So that's how, if I was to be a Bond car, I would, I would be, uh, I would be the Aston Martin Volante. And just an interesting bit of trivia for you, Mark. Yeah. This car, this Aston Martin Volante, is making a comeback in the next James Bond film, which is shooting right now. I've heard that. Yeah, that's pretty darn cool. Well, I, I'm looking forward to that. And, and that movie, I, I love that movie. But again, the car with the gadgets, that's what makes it. That's what makes Bond, is all the gadgets. I mean, from the time I was a little kid all the way up to the new Bond movies. That's what makes it fun. So nice choice, my friend. I like the way you uh, you went through that analysis with me. So you passed that test. <laughs> Matthew, we are entering the last lap. I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Always have an expert with you. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. Okay. Always have an expert. You might you might like cars, but you might not you might not necessarily know how to run them. And um, you know, I, if I, when I'm next buying a Mini, I'll have one of the Mini experts on that particular model with me. Always have an expert. Never, ever get drawn by your heart, which can always happen when you buy a car. Oh, gosh. Yeah. You know, one of the rules I've done is if I start to fall in love with something, I take a friend and I say, talk me out of this. So their job is to look at everything that I'm glazing over that is wrong with that. <laughs> so that I, mean, I like, don't. For example, for example, on Minis, the subframes are, are known being so terribly bad i mean even those those later classic minis that were built up to the year 2000 within 18 months the subframes can be gone on them rusted right through so that's what i say always have an expert with you who knows to look for the, the immediate five points they can go bang 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 say yeah this car's solid go for it yeah absolutely would you share a personal habit you have uh that has contributed to your many successes over the years um i think it would have to be just going back to what we we're saying earlier on i think it have to be um determination Yep. You know, like when I when I go into a project, I throw everything into it, you know, whether I like the subject matter, the matter or not. I mean, I'm not a big fan of the Terminator, but I'd like to think I made the best documentary ever on Terminator 2, yeah. um, which I made a couple of years ago. And I made myself an expert. on it. I think if you're going to tell a story as a journalist and you may find this too, Mark, is that, you know, you want to tell the best story possible. And I think that's that's what I do. Determination. Yeah. Determination. And of course, that polite persistence will add to that and tenacity too, which I have a feeling you have plenty of that uh, streaming through your bloodstream. <laughs> How about a resource? There's a lot of great resources. We talked about what we can do on the internet these days, social media. Is there a resource that you're really fond of you'd like to share? Absolutely. When I was researching the Italian Job book, I wanted to do a profile on every car that featured um, in the movie. What happened, You know, the history of the car before the movie, and then the history of it afterwards, and does it survive to this day? Mm. And a great place for me to go to was the Internet Movie Card Database. Mm. It's an incredible resource. Yeah. And, it, you know, it wasn't all accurate, but there was lots of stuff, lots of avenues for me to use as research. So if, if, if you're interested or you want to find out about a car that was used, even in the most obscure movie, go and have a look at it. The IMCDB is fantastic. Yeah, it's brilliant. You know, about four years ago, a good friend of mine, Tim Adams, uh, who I've known forever. I went to college with him. He's a Fabergé expert. And he told me about that website because he's real into everything British. He, I think he should have been born in England. I mean, he just loves everything from, from
from your country. He loves Rolls Royce. He's an expert on those and Bentley. And he sent me uh, a connection to this. And I went, I didn't know this website. And I've gone back and used it many, many times when I'm trying to find things. It's a fantastic website. I'll remind our listeners, I'll put a link to that, imcdb.com on Matthew's show notes page. Check it out. You're going to spend a little bit of time there, though, I promise you, because you'll start to see cars you didn't even remember that were in movies. Yeah, Yeah, like there's an interesting car in the movie, Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds, at the end, where they pull that car out of the garage and they drive away with all the birds and everything. And I'm like, what is that car? So uh, that's a great place for you to go research that. I'm not going to give away the answer to that because you listeners, you got to go check out imcdb.com and you can tell me what that car was. Now, if I could arrange for you, Matthew, to sit down and have a drink with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased, who would that be? I'm going to choose, Mark, Sir Alec Izagonis. Oh. Do you know who, do you know who Sir Alec Izagonis no, is? No, that's a new name here. Okay. Alec Izagonis was the guy that designed the Mini. Oh, uh, well, shoot, I should uh, have known that. So much, so much, so Mark, that he was knighted by the Queen of England. Uh, okay, yeah. he's now a knight of the realm because of uh, his contribution to uh, the motoring world here in England. And he was a fascinating guy. So many interesting bits of his personality went into the design of the Mini. Um, like, I don't know if you've ever been in, in a Mark One Mini, but if you open it, there's, there's a really large um, inside door pocket. That mm-hmm. that always always said to to fit a, a bottle of milk from there. <laughs> yes, but yes. In reality, but in reality, if you tip a bottle of Gordon's gin on its side, it also fits very comfortably into the side pocket. So there's lots of lot there's lots of wonderful quirks in the mini that Sir Alec Isagon has brought to it, and I love. He died in 1988. So long, be- long before, uh, long before I grew up. Yeah. But I'd love to have met this guy. He, he was absolutely fascinating, and uh, he designed probably the most famous car this country's ever produced. Yeah, back when I was in college, I had a roommate, and a friend of his had one, and I had never ridden in one before, uh, the old original one. And he took me for a ride up to the Cross on La Jolla. I lived, I was living in La Jolla, going to college, and he took me on the ride up this windy hill up to the Cross on Mount Soledad. I couldn't believe how that car went around the corners. And I'm like, you're going to kill us. Slow down. He goes, oh, don't worry. We're, we're, we're fine. Exactly. It yeah, was, yeah. And then he let me drive it back. And I fell in love with the Mini Cooper at that time. I just thought this car is absolutely wonderful. And one of my long-term sponsors here, a shout out to Chris Kimball. I know he's listening. He listens every morning to the show. He has a Mini Cooper and Chris is a very tall guy and he fits into that car well. He's a Pantera as well, but, uh, he loves his little Mini Cooper. I don't know how he stuffs himself in there, but he keeps telling me there's plenty of room. Uh, I haven't been in one in a long time. I, I've owned two newer Mini Coopers that we bought for our daughter. Uh, very different cars, of course, and, and bigger, but uh, I love those old Mark Ones. Fantastic. How about a book? Now, I know we've talked about the Self-Preservation Society, 50 Years of the Italian uh, Job by Matthew Field. Is there another book that you'd like to uh, suggest our listeners read? Okay, this this book's out of print though, Mark, but I want people to go and seek it out because it's a really, really, really interesting book. Uh And it comes back to my obsession with James Bond. Now, a friend of mine wrote this remarkable book in the early 90s called The Most Famous Car in the World, okay, by Dave Worrell, okay? Now, this book was the history of the Aston Martin DB5 in Goldfinger. And it's the fascinating story about how the Bond producers approached Aston Martin, how those gadget cars were built with the ejector seat, with the uh, bulletproof shield in the back and the machine guns in the front, and, and the 
worldwide publicity tours that the Aston Martins were taken on around the world. And then, of course, all the merchandising and toy cars spin-offs from this one appearance in Goldfinger and then, of course, in Thunderball. And so really, really good piece of journalism. He interviewed, you know, the technicians who made it. He interviewed the marketing people, Aston Martin. He interviewed everybody. If you're interested in Bond or you're interested in Aston Martins or the DB5, this change product placement, how, uh, you know, and how it works. This was the first time, you know, a, a vehicle had a starring role in a movie and it's called the most famous car in the world. And it's by Dave Worrell. Go and check it out if you can get a copy on Amazon, you know, on used Amazon or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very cool. And of course, I still have my Corgi DB5 with the ejector seat and all that yeah, from when I was a little is it, kid. So is it in its box or is it, is it smashed up? Oh, no, no. I don't smash up any of my stuff. All my cars are spotless. In fact, you'll love this, Matthew. My first Matchbox by Lesney. My dad bought me when I was about four or five years old. Jaguar E-Type Coupe. Red. Still have the box. The car is spotless. Wow. Yeah, I'm a little bit of a nutcase when it comes to taking care of my stuff. So my Matchbox cars never got dinged up and messed That's up. Cool. How, many, how many have you got, Mark? Oh, you know, I don't even want to count them because my wife's listening. She'll just roll her eyeballs. But uh, <laughs> let's just say I have them all from when I was a kid. All those old Matchbox cars and a lot of Hot Wheels cars as well. Uh, way too many model cars on my shelves, that's for sure. But uh, You can never have too many. You can never have too many. No, I don't think so. It's a, it's a way you can enjoy them. I'm sitting here looking at an early 911 sitting in front of me on my desk. So I kind of swap them out each day so I can look at something different uh, since I can't afford to have them all in my garage. Well, I'll remind our listeners, you can find all these great links that Matthew has shared with us and all of these resources on his very own Cars yeah show notes page. Just go to CarsYeah.com, type in Matthew Field, and his page will pop right up. All right, Matthew, we're up to the checkered flag, and this last question can be a bit of a doozy. Today, I'm going to buy you any cool collector car in the world, but there are some rules to this game that make it a little challenging. You can't sell it to buy a bunch of other toys with. You have to drive it. No garage queens allowed here in cars, yeah. But it's the only collector car you can have. So choose wisely. It's going to be the Lamborghini Miura. <laughs> of course. And it's going to be in orange in that, um, in that Arancio Miura, yeah. the name of the car. Yeah. Now, um, I, I was with it on Wednesday night. It, they, it was brought over from Liechtenstein for our special launch preview. It's recently been discovered, the actual very one from the, the, the film. And I just fell in love with it. Yeah. And I'd never sat in a mirror before and I loved it. So if I could choose any car, but it'd have to be that one, the actual one that was used in the opening sequence of the Italian job. Yikes, that's going to be costly for me, my friend. Uh, but that's okay. I, I've bought, I think I've bought all 24 Ferrari GTOs that ever existed for past guests here on the show. But the Lamborghini Miura is one of those just absolutely delightful cars in my mind. I was fortunate enough to drive one once that had been restored. It was lime green. Of course, yeah, that's a great color. Oh, just a marvelous car to drive. That engine is like three inches behind your head. Just a dream car. And I, I really have to say it's probably, for me, one of the top five most beautiful road-going cars ever built. It's beautiful. But that that one for the movie, of course, that's the one you want. What else would you want? Right? <laughs> and of course, I never sell it. So it, it, it fits perfectly to your question. Mark. I think so. Well, Matthew, you've taken me on an awesome ride today. I've really enjoyed getting to know you better. I want to thank you for sharing this incredible journey with us. Could you offer us one little parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you drive off into the English countryside in that Lamborghini Miura in orange, the one from the movie, The Italian Job? Um, I think if you've got a great idea, whether it be a book, a film, a restoration, just do it. Too many people spend too much time 
talking about what they want to do in life and you have to do it. So uh, if you if, if you're listening out there and you've got a project or um, something that you really want to make, go and do it and do it this year. Yep, absolutely. Life is fleeting. Life is short. And uh, as Nike says, just do it. And there's a reason for that. What's the best way for uh, people to follow along with you, Matthew, and keep in touch with you? Well, ch- just check out my Facebook page. Follow it on there. Um, we'll give you the link and you can put it in, in my notes that follow the interview. Absolutely. I encourage you to check it out. Get yourself a copy of this book. It goes into any automotive enthusiast library. It's a place to be uh, it's on my shelf. Fantastic book. Bravo to what you've done. Thank you, Matthew, for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and the Cars Yow listeners. Until you and I talk again, my friend, I'll see you down the road. Thanks, Mark. You're welcome. You take care of your cars, but who takes care of your investments? Tune-ups aren't just for engines. Updating your financial plan is important, too. Your GPS may take you from A to B, but it won't help you on the road to financial freedom. For that, you need a good co-pilot and a very trusted advisor. Chris Kimball, CFP, is just the man for the job. He'll guide you down that road without driving you crazy. For over 25 years, Chris has helped people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. With a master's degree in financial services, he is eminently qualified. And he's a car guy, too. Learn more at chrisvkimball.com or call 866-ON-A-PLAN. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member FINRA SIPIC. CK Financial Services is not affiliated with Money Concepts Capital Corp. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!